Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Junkie. Did you know that you are my favorite Junkie in all the world? Did you know? Well, you are. I mean, you're tied for first, but that is still first, right? It's a good thing. After this episode, we will have a 60-second promo for Another World Audiobooks. They produce a bunch of public domain audiobooks that are free to listen to, stuff like Tarzan, The Martian Chronicles, A Christmas Carol, and more. Anyway, check it out. It'll be right after the episode. Speaking of the episode, you are about to hear Slay episode number 32. Let me tell you, it is bonkers. The whole story of season one of Slay will end at episode 34, possibly 35. So that means we are in the middle of one of my trademark guns a blazing finales. This kind of high action climax is the reason you listen to Sigler books in the first place. I know that you are going to dig it. Enjoy. Let me get you caught up in the story so far, and then we're all going to go use vines to swing from tree to tree. Butch and the Rolling Outlaws followed Billy to the Old Stone Church and used a spell given to him by Boss Hogg to bind Dragon in a golden meshwork net. Magda and Ariella tried to fight Butch and his men, but Magda's flashback from her fight with Vestinian left her helpless in the fetal position. Ariella rescued Magda. The two women are likely somewhere in the church being hunted by Butch's men. Butch then told Billy, It was time for Billy to pay for Big Hack's death. Dante and his bounty hunters are coming for Callista. Outside her building, Lincoln and Mercutio attack the Flechette sisters and their giant panthers. Lincoln landed a near-killing shot on Betty Flechette, then fled for the secret passage that led into the building where he and Mercutio could connect with Callista, her club kid troops, and her bodyguard, Bobby the Minotaur. Mercutio used the passage's door to cut a pursuing panther in half, but Veronica Flechette blew up that door, filling the passage with smoke and broken brick. And now, episode 32 of Slay. Lincoln pushed himself up. Crumbled brick and clods of dirt tumbled off his cloak. His ears rang. He coughed out a cloud of red dust. From under a thin pile of rubble, he saw the pale, lavender glow of Mercutio's illuminated gauntlet, the only light in the narrow and battered tunnel. And behind him, coming down the steps, he heard the crunching tread of booted feet working their way down unsure footing. Lincoln grabbed Mercutio's wrist and dragged him out of the rubble. You killed my sister! Veronica's voice sounded tinny in the close confines. You hear me, Franks? You killed my sister, and you killed Fluffykins! I'm gonna slice off your cock and make you choke on it! An invitation to a dance that Lincoln did not want to attend. With his right hand, he drew his Vepper 12 shotgun from the folds of his cloak. 
With his left, he pulled the stubby, warded shield wand from the cuff of his armored boot. He pointed more than aimed the shotgun down the dark, dust-filled tunnel, held down the trigger as he waggled the weapon left and right. Twelve steel shotgun slugs spit forth in less than two seconds. Scudamaris, Lincoln said, and dropped the wand onto the rubble. Jade-green light flared from the wand, creating a bright band of illumination up the walls and across the tunnel's arched top just as return fire roared his way. Some bullets sparked into green bursts of nothingness as they hit the shield and disintegrated. Other bullets punched through, dragging molten drops of glowing threadwork behind them like little emerald comet trails. Lincoln reached into his cloak again as he hit the mag-release lever. Dropping the empty magazine, he popped in a fresh mag, grabbed Mercutio's wrist again, and dragged the unconscious, armored man down the passage like an overstuffed bag of trash. The ward shield wouldn't stop all the rounds, and it wouldn't hold for long, but it was something. Lincoln felt and heard bullets punching through his cloak to bounce off the armor on his back and shoulders. He kept moving. He felt renewed pain in his thigh where Veronica had nailed him with her thrown spike. Pain, piercing, biting, and spreading. Poison. Shit. He'd felt the like before. His leg would grow numb and motionless within seconds, the rest of him soon to follow. He had an unpleasant vision of lying still and helpless as Veronica Flechette made good on her promise of making Lincoln gag on his own dick. He had to find his way back to Kalista and Bobby, and he had to do it fast. Knuckles smashed into Billy's cheek, snapping his head sideways and making him stumble backwards. Oh shit, Butch, Money Monday said. That's a bomb right hook. Billy thudded into the stone wall, his head throbbing and his vision little more than a blur. I'm telling you, I didn't kill Big Heck. Billy heard Dragon's growl, a muffled thing of anguish and raw fury. He heard the rolling outlaws slamming their bodies into the nave doors, trying to get them open. And he heard the laughter of the three or four other outlaws that were still there, rather than searching the church, still here watching Butch beat his candy ass. A fist slammed into his stomach, then his ribs, then his stomach again, driving the wind from his lungs. Billy slid down the wall to his knees, the panic of not being able to draw breath instantly blocking out any thought. Damn, Money said. A body shot combo and the challenger is in trouble! Billy held out his right hand, waving it blindly in an attempt to ward off the next blow to fend off the damage. It didn't work. Butch's fist crashed into his right ear. Billy's forehead clonked against the floor before he even knew he had fallen. Dragon's choked roar hurt Billy's heart. A punch after the man was down, but the ref didn't see it, Money said. The challenger looks hurt, folks. He looks hurt. 
belly, stomach unclenched long enough for one partial, pathetic inhale. Then it opened fully. He heaved in ragged, deep breaths. With the air came all the pain he'd momentarily blocked out. His ear screaming and stinging, his face throbbing, his ribs pulsing and dull. Get up, pussy, Butch said. If you stay down, I'll break your fingers one at a time until you get up again. I didn't. It was hard to speak while gasping in breaths. Kill, big heck. You got five seconds to stand up, Butch said. If you don't, I'll start with your pinky. One, two, three. Billy used the wall to push himself to his feet. His eyes watered. Through a shimmering haze, he saw Butch, his fists up, lightly bouncing on his toes. And he saw a dragon, bound like a black ham wrapped in golden netting, shuddering as she tried and failed to make any headway against the gleaming mesh. That's it, little bee, Butch said. You're going to take this beating till you can't get up no more. And that's when I'm going to really hurt you. Billy tried to imagine what it would feel like to have his fingers broken one at a time. Probably not very good. Not very good at all. Lincoln wasn't here. No Magda. No Ariella. Dragon couldn't help. Billy had no one but himself. Butch was six inches taller and outweighed him by 50 pounds. It wasn't a fair fight. A fair fight is the one you lose. Link's words came back to him. Or were those Magda's words, quoting Link? It didn't matter. If I had a five spot for every sack I've kicked, I'd have a million dollars. Those were Link's words. Billy remembered that for sure. One nutshot could put Butch down. It was either that or get beat so bad, all Billy would be able to do is listen to the sound of his own bones snapping. Billy took three wobbling steps away from the wall and he raised his fists. All right, motherfucker, he said. Come and get it. Butch smiled. His guard up, he came forward. Billy snap-kicked at Butch's crotch. Butch twisted quick, a move of grace and speed. Billy's toe hit him on the hip. A hand whipped in so fast, Billy barely saw it. Butch's palm cracked Billy's cheek with a sound like a snapping belt and a pain like cold fire. Billy took one surprised, stumbling step back, his fingers going to his cheek. Oh, shit! A laughing Money Monday had one hand on his sternum, the other pointing a finger at Billy. We slapped you like a bitch because you are a bitch, little bee. You tried to kick him in the nuts. That's a tiny, weak little bitch you are. Little weak bitch. Some of the rolling outlaws laughed along with him. The sound, the sound of laughter, screwed its way into Billy's brain laughing at him, mocking him. A slap. In the middle of a fist fight, Billy had tried a cheap shot 
and Butch had slapped him for it. Heat rose in Billy's face, making his stinging cheek sting even more. Here comes the hurt, little B, Butch said. Here comes the real hurt. Butch closed in. He reared back to throw a right-handed haymaker. Just as his weight came forward on his left leg, Billy's right foot came up, drove forward, and down. Billy felt the solidity of the strike, felt something in Butch's knee crunch as it bent the wrong way. Butch cried out and dropped, hands clutching at his knee, his lower leg wobbling in a way that was not normal. You didn't have to be a doctor to know that he was not getting up. Chest heaving, body hurting, Billy stared down. Stared down at Butch. Butch, who Billy had just beat in a straight-up fight. It was unbelievable. It felt incredible. Now who's the bitch, Butch? You big, dumb, ugly piece of shit. Now tell me how to open up that net, or... Billy saw only a hint of motion before Money Monday's fist hammered into his temple. Billy stumbled away, his watery legs carrying him two shaking steps before Money Monday landed another blow, this one to Billy's nose. Billy felt and heard a crunch not so different from when he had broken Butch's knee. The world spun. Billy fell to the floor. He opened his squinting, tearing eyes, just in time to see the heel of a red Nike before it smashed into his mouth. Billy rolled backward, thudded up against the bound dragon. Money Monday stared down. Billy wasn't getting up. He knew it. Money knew it. Money went to Butch, as did two of the outlaws. The others kept pounding on the nave door, building up an intensifying rhythm of big shoulders driving at it in unison. Billy heard the wood starting to crack. Eyes not fully cooperating, Billy glanced at poor Dragon. She simply could not move. Her big black eyes stared back at him. That golden netting. It wasn't gold anymore. It was, but it wasn't, because the metal was made up of thousands of shimmering threads. Billy saw the magic coursing within them. Quietly, slowly, with one shaking hand, Billy tried to slide his fingers underneath a golden strand. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. 
Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Lincoln saw light ahead. His right leg almost numb, he pushed forward with his left, awkwardly hopping and dragging Mercutio along. He could hear Veronica and whoever she still had with her running to catch up to him, moving faster than he could. They'd got past the ward shield and they were closing in. Rough stone blocks lined the narrow opening. Through it, Lincoln saw an industrial light fixture, rusted and dented, dimly illuminating a room with a dirty stone floor. That was where he would make his last stand. He couldn't run anymore. His muscles felt weak. Was his pulse slowing? He hauled Mercutio through the opening, tossed the still unconscious man deeper into the room's thick shadows, then turned and stood just inside the entrance, leaning against it for both balance and cover. If he had had 60 seconds to use meshwork to counter the poison, he'd be fine, but he didn't have 60 seconds. He heard thudding footsteps coming down the passage, and coming fast. The Vepper steel slugs wouldn't stop Veronica, not unless he put one through her eye, but they'd hurt like the Dickens and slow her down, and they would make mincemeat out of her thugs. Lincoln took in a fast breath, let it out slow and quiet. He heard the footsteps coming closer, closer. He leaned out, saw the oncoming AK-47 wielding gunman an instant before the gunman saw him. One quick squeeze of the shotgun's trigger sent three 12-gauge steel slugs straight through the man's chest. The gunman fell forward. Veronica was only a step behind, a stubby, 
chrome pistol in her hand, firing before the gunman's body hit the ground. Bullets slammed into Lincoln's armor, thunderous in their power. One hit the shotgun. He lurched back behind the opening stone blocks, and when he did, his wounded leg gave out on him. He fell hard, the poison numbing more of him now, slowing him. There was a deep dent in the shotgun's chamber, rendering the weapon useless. Lincoln reached into his cloak for Bastard Maker, the best choice for close-quarters combat. He gripped the haft, felt a thrill of hope, a comfort of familiarity, of reliability, and he came to his feet. Veronica Flechette's broadsword drove through his left shoulder, piercing armor and flesh and bone. It wasn't the first time he'd been run through with a sword. The words of his old trainer, the monk Marchimus, blazed in his mind. If you get stabbed, you know where the stabber is. Lincoln whipped Bastard Maker in a brutal left-to-right arc. Another would-have-been kill shot had the poison not slowed him. Veronica ducked back, the hatchet's edge grazing her cheek and slicing off a handful of trailing black hair. She stepped in with a left hook that caught Lincoln's jaw. He sagged away, dropped backward. Veronica's sword sliding free of his shoulder with a squelch and a scrape of metal on bone. Lincoln Franks' armored body thudded against the stone floor with a rattling clank. He felt the tip of a sword press against his throat. He looked up, past the blood-streaked blade gleaming in the paltry light to see Veronica Flechette staring down at him. You killed my sister, she said, and Fluffykins. Lincoln's body felt like jello. His jaw felt like he was in the middle of dental surgery, and his shoulder felt like, well, like some big-haired broad had just driven a sword through it. Yeah, I did, he said. But in my defense, your sister Betty was a real cunt, and your cat smelled like piss. Veronica's lip curled up. I was going to take my time with you, she said. But you're such a miserable, drunken prick. It's not worth my time. A woof of metal cutting through the air. An axe blade sliced through Veronica's neck. Her head tumbled forward as her body dropped like a discarded rag doll. The head hit the stone floor bounced once, landed on Lincoln's chest, neck down. Before it rolled away, he saw the sneer of fury and heartbreak still fixed on Veronica's mouth. A muscled minotaur stepped forward, one horn knocking against the hanging light fixture, making it wobble. Get your weapons, Bobby said. Lean on me. I'll carry Mercutio. Hurry. Oleus is coming in through the ceiling. Oh, yeah, that's right. There was still Oleus Oakbeard, Boss Hog, Dante, and Dante's thugs to deal with. One second, Lincoln said. Bitch, poison me. He reached into the folds of his cloak as Bobby picked up Mercutio and flung him over one massive shoulder. Lincoln's fingers found the small case that he needed. 
He opened it, his numb hands barely able to follow his commands. He pulled the brass and glass hypodermic from inside the case. He slid the needle through the hole in his thigh armor and into the wound made by Veronica's poison spike. He jammed the plunger down. He had stopped himself from screaming when the sword steel ruined his shoulder. This was a different level of pain. As the antitoxins spread through his body, Lincoln screamed in agony. Don't be such a goddamn baby, Bobby said. Lincoln accepted the pain. It was going to hurt the same whether he laid there or if he moved, so he might as well move. He picked up Bastard Maker. His shotgun was worthless. Bobby extended a hand. Lincoln took it, let the Minotaur help him to his feet. Lincoln leaned heavily on Bobby as they moved to another opening deeper in the room. Before they stepped through, a fast glance showed Lincoln an unexpected horror. The slightly swinging fixture cast drab light on the walls, walls covered in what looked like dried-out creeper vines, vines that laced through shriveled, emaciated human corpses. Skulls, here and there, with dark eye sockets, for eyes, and skin mummified to the bone like lumpy shellac. Holy fuck, Lincoln said. You guys grow polyps in here? Use your eyes, Link. The anemones are long dead. This place was old before Kalista bought it. Keep moving. We have to get to her before it's too late. Through the opening into another dark, dirt corridor. Lincoln heard the thub of a subwoofer. The final fight would be to the tune of synth-heavy dance music. Seven steps coming up, Bobby said. We're almost there. Lincoln hopped along, leaning on Bobby, feeling the antitoxin do its thing. It wouldn't make the poison's effects go away completely, but at least his heart wouldn't stop working. At the top of the steps, Bobby pushed something. Another hidden door, probably. Pulsating, multicolored lights filled the passage. Over teeth-rattling techno music, Lincoln heard gunfire and screams. Bobby stepped forward, leaned Lincoln against a counter. Not a counter, a bar top. The club had three bars. This one was all the way in the back, a good hundred feet from the dance floor. The flashing disco lights reflected off bottles of booze and the mirror behind them. Kalista's club was a war zone. People fought in the shadows, in the velvet-roped booths, and on the dance floor, which pulsed in squares of red and blue and yellow and orange. Miami gangster toughs went at it with combat-garbed club kids. Knives and swords and spears and fists seemingly striking in time to the heavy bass beat. Up at the ceiling above the dance floor, only a few feet from the spinning mirror ball, Lincoln saw Oleus Oakbeard dropping down from a whirling ring of shibbering, cobalt-blue energy. Kalista, the druid called out. Your time has... A blinding jet of ruby-red flame lashed out like a spray of molten magma, splashing against Oleus, sending him flying backward. 
He smashed into a booth, kicking up a cloud of spinning splinters and chunks of dark wood. Lincoln felt the mental touch of shitbird. The double dampening field fluttered and sputtered, thrown out of whack from the blast delivered to the druid. Kalista strode out from behind her throne, all armor and red patent leather, her eyes and hands blazing with that same ruby-red flame. You dare to come into my home, Oakbeard? She raised a hand toward the druid, who was struggling to get to his feet. Before I kill you, you should know I fucked your daughter, too. Her hand blazed a blinding bone white. I will melt the flesh from your bones. A Miami thug stepped onto the dance floor and opened up with an AR-15, pouring the entire magazine at Kalista. The bullets burst like little fireworks before they reached her. Kalista threw the blazing white energy at the man. He burst into a white flame. Lincoln saw his eyes pop. His scream drowned out the techno music, but only for a moment before his bubbling flesh sagged and drooped. He fell to the dance floor, twitching and clawing at his face. I say, I say, it seems we need something bigger. Lincoln looked to the cobalt energy ring still swirling in the club's dark ceiling in time to see the white-suited boss hog floating down, an M320 grenade launcher in his right hand aimed at Kalista. He fired. The round moved slow enough that Lincoln saw it fly from him to her. Like the bullets, the grenade spark burst just before hitting her, but it was not a bullet. A ball of indigo light puffed out into a shockwave that threw people from the dance floor, Kalista included. She sailed backward and slammed into her throne, knocking it over as she stumbled past. Lincoln saw Gary Sater, half of his knife sheath empty and a trident of all things in his furry hands, rush to her side. She looked groggy, slow to rise. Boss Hog floated down to the dance floor, the flashing strobes lighting up his white suit in a clash of staccato colors. He opened the M320's chamber and put in another fat shell as his two black trench coat-wearing sidekicks still wearing their wraparound sunglasses, dropped down of the cobalt ring to stand next to him, scimitars in their hands. Dante, in a red Adidas tracksuit with white stripes, slid through next, landing behind them, followed by four cradlebats that streaked toward Oakbeard. The energy ring shrunk inward, fluttered, then vanished. Lincoln's tenuous connection with Shitbird vanished as well. The double dampening spell was back. Too bad we can't call for help, Lincoln said. We just, uh, we might be fucked. Maybe. Bobby dropped the still alert Mercutio behind the bar. He grabbed a bottle off the mirrored shelf, bit the spigot, pulled it out, and spit it aside. He put the bottle to his mouth, tipped it high, slugged down four gulps, then held the bottle out to Lincoln. But if we are, 
Let's send some of these dogs to their graves first. Lincoln took the bottle. That was, uh, that was pretty fucking cool, Bobby. I know, the Minotaur said. Lincoln took a gulping swig, not caring that the mouth of the bottle had bull spit all over it. Tequila. Not his usual fare, but this stuff was pretty good. The warmth spread through his chest. He tossed the bottle aside. A wobbly oleous oakbeard stumbled over to stand next to Boss Hog. Lincoln saw Dante slap both of them on the shoulder. Then, the tracksuit-wearing goblin pointed toward Callista and her fallen throne. It's go time, Link, Bobby said. He hefted his double-bladed labrys. If you want to see your kid again, we need to take these punks out. Lincoln hurt all over, from his thigh to his jaw to his shoulder and the left arm that hung limp, blood sliding down the inside of his armor to drip out the gaps in his gauntleted fingers. He was in no shape to fight. But there was no choice. If Kalista died, Sam would never leave the shelf. Lincoln tested his weight on his wounded leg. It held. He reached into his cloak again. Once again, he drew his hatchet, Bastard Maker. Well, this is a dance club after all, he said. So let's dance. Shitbird waited to see if the cradle bats flew back up out of the energy ring on the roof of Kalisa's building. They did not. The ring shrunk in on itself, then blinked away in a silent, cobalt blue gleam that momentarily lit up the clouds above. It was time to go. He launched off the old water tower, flapping as hard as he could away from the building. He'd had just a moment's connection to Lincoln, enough to know that the man was in a lot of trouble. Shitbird could not help him. But if he flew fast enough, he might reach someone who could help him. He shot through the night, heading straight, as the crow flies, toward Sunset House. have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Love reading but don't have the time? Audiobooks are the perfect solution. But they can be expensive, and free audiobooks are often low quality and hard to listen to. But not with Another World Audiobooks. Always free, always quality. We release episodes every week, and sometimes more, so you always have something new to listen to. 
from Treasure Island to Pride and Prejudice, Sherlock Holmes to A Princess of Mars, and many, many more, revisit your favorites or discover something new. We also produce exclusive content featuring audiobooks from up-and-coming indie authors. Subscribe by searching Another World Audiobooks in your favorite podcast player, or check us out at anotherworldaudiobooks.com and start exploring today. We'll see you in another world. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.